Well, I shared with you last week that the reason why my face looks this way was because I fell into a vat of radioactive toxic waste. And I have good news. I have received, yes, I have received my superhero powers at last. And I am now, I have found that I am able to sit through a Marvel Avengers movie and actually cry. Yes, uh, but I promised not to talk about that movie. I swore I would not talk about that movie, but I did cry. It's terrible, because when you cry like this, it hurts. Ah, you're trying to wipe the tears away. It, uh, I won't get into that. <clears throat> the doctor says that it's going to heal. It's going to take between two weeks and two months for my face to fall off and get better. Um, but it's going to happen through, you know, the natural laws that God created. He created them, and he is in this process of healing me. Now, I want to ask you, what if I didn't understand this healing process, and when I looked into the mirror, I would see this? And if I didn't understand God's healing, <laughs> I would come to this conclusion. I am hideous. I actually had, oh my, he meant well. He, I had two people, he, they looked at me and they said, wow, Mike, you look like one of those monsters from the movie, you know, with like the makeup and the scales and, and you look just like that. And I looked at him and said, man, thanks. <laughs> but I know this isn't forever. I trust in Christ's healing and you're probably wondering, okay, Mike, you're building up to something, and you're actually right, I am. <clears throat> Many of us, we look into our own mirrors, and what stares back at us, we do not like. And the reason for this, and I'm going to focus on one thing, it's a five-letter word, it is the word shame. Shame stares back at us, and we define ourselves according to that shame. We define who we are based on our past that we just cannot seem to run away from. And if we could bury it six feet under, we would do that. I've got this amazing truth I'm going to share with you guys because there's a way to do that. And yet, you know what? Even in Christ, shame can still haunt us. Shame can still look back at us in the mirror and our conclusion is what I see is hideous. And it stirs up even more shame. I believe Jesus wants to set you free from all of that. Truly set you free. Shame goes a whole lot deeper for most people than what we realize. A whole lot deeper. See, shame sees me like this. But in Christ, I see who I am as one who has been redeemed. And, and this sermon, if we're, if we're going to contrast something with this concept of shame, it would be this one word, redemption. We're not going to need to unwrap this. And, and, and I'm just going to let you know right up front, my purpose was to preach a sermon that the more I got into it, 
the more I realized was a whole lot deeper and a whole lot bigger, and it's according to the chapter that I was looking at, because most of you do this, and I did it, and during the, um, some people call it Lent, but the days, weeks leading up to Easter, or Resurrection Sunday, we read in the, uh, the, the about the Passion Week, that is, the last week leading up to Christ's death and resurrection. And so I was doing that, and I came across this chapter, John chapter 1. It's the last chapter in the Gospel of John. And as I began to study it, God showed me something. I'd never seen it before. And the more I studied it, I realized, whoa, this is huge. John ends his entire gospel on this one chapter. We're going to need to look at that. So turn with me to John chapter 21. But I just want you to know that Christ's Christ's redemption is this, that he has bought us. You're not your own. Jesus' blood is that heavenly currency that he used to purchase you. And this concept of redemption goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 6, where God redeemed the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery to Pharaoh. And church, you know this. We were in slavery, not to a Pharaoh, but to our sin. We were sin addicts. We were addicted to this thing called sin. It was our master. It ruled us. It controlled us. And Romans 6 says we were slaves to it. Christ redeemed the people of Israel out of Egypt to be his very own people. And Christ has redeemed you by the blood of Jesus Christ to be his very own. Now, In being his very own, so he bought us, he purchased us by his blood. And then this concept of redemption includes this other idea of forgiveness. So we are his own. The second thing is that now he has completely washed away our sin. But here's the awesome news. It doesn't stop there. Not only does he purchase us, not only does he scatter our sins, as my wife said, as far as the east is from the West, but now he infuses this thing called life. It's a Greek word, zoe. Um, it's some, John uses this word very frequently, and it's, it's translated life. But there's another Greek word, bios, where you get the word biology, that is the study of life. That's physical life. But zoe is this life that God impregnates us with, that that swells with it, it transforms us. And John is super big on this word zoe. It's eternal life, which can mean heaven, but it's eternal life that we possess right now. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God, by his spirit, has put life in you. And Jesus used John chapter 3. He used this term being born again. You then, by his zoe, by his life, you have become a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. You have become born again. You're a different person. The reason why you're a different person is because he's put his spirit in you and the power of that spirit, which is the power of Jesus' resurrection, has been birthed in you and it's changed you. It's canceled out this addiction to sin, not that you never sin again, but we have now freedom to be able to live for Christ, whereas before we didn't. It's like this ball and chain that God has now broken. And so redemption then says these three things. Redemption says you've been purchased. 
Redemption says that now your sins are forgiven and scattered as far as the east is from the west. No more to be remembered. Sometimes I think we have a better memory than God does. And by that I mean we remember our sin. Oh, yes, because that's what shame comes from. But God says, I'm, I'm sorry. Remind me, what sin are you talking about again? Because I forgave it and I forgot about it. And then the third thing in this concept of redemption that we're going to look at that opposes and crushes shame is this idea of transformation. And as we look at the Gospel of John, I think it would be fair to say John is very thematic. By that I mean he takes words and he weaves a theme throughout all 21 chapters, this concept of truth. We see it in the metaphor of light or darkness. Truth, but then on the other hand, we have this concept of lies. Now, Friday night, the young adults got together, and for the last three months, we've been talking about this concept of truth as opposed to lies. Satan is the father of lies. It's his native language. When Satan wants to lead us astray, what does he do? He speaks lies into our ears. And we begin to believe these lies. Shame at its very root is birthed in lies. We're going to discover that. Shame is rooted in lies. So what's going to break the shame off of you? It's going to be truth. And so John deals with this concept of truth as opposed to lies, light as opposed to darkness. Another thing that the gospel of John does is it focuses, and I've already mentioned this, this concept of zoe, of life. Because Jesus came to bring grace and truth. He also came to bring life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Everlasting life. His spirit comes in you and he bursts life in you. And this is now, we're gonna see, this is now counter uh, or against the shame that we have. So this redemption, this concept of redemption is the key to breaking off this shame that many of us wrestle with. Not, maybe not constantly, but periodically in our life. So you may not be wrestling with shame right now, but I want you to take what you learned today, stick the notes in your Bible in John chapter 21 that we're going to read and pull it out the next time you do, okay? Something about shame. I want us to, I, I realized that this sermon was going to be a whole lot longer than I anticipated. There is this tendency for me to want to include too much information on a sermon. So I'm going to take two sermons to do this, okay? You'll thank me later. But I I want to slow down and I want to savor these truths that we're going to learn. So first, let's let's look at this concept of shame for just a moment before we get into our text. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to kind of take a running start before we dive into the word. So just bear with me. Shame comes in two categories. There's illegitimate shame and there is legitimate shame. Now, you're not going to find this division in the word of God, but you can see it. It's simple. Illegitimate shame is something that was done to you. It was not your fault, your responsibility. 
It happened to you, and it was shameful. All kinds of abuse. And we can walk away and feel so ashamed. But it wasn't of our doing. It happened to us. That's called illegitimate shame. Not that it's not worthy to be looked at and dealt with, but it's, it's not legitimate shame. Be, and you need to realize this because when something happens to you that's not your fault, we can feel like it is. But that's not legitimate shame. That's, that's not your fault. Legitimate shame is where we blow it, where we have either sinned, and I'm going to break legitimate shame down in these two categories. Legitimate shame can come in the form of either sin that does offend God and failures that do not offend God. But we can feel shame from both of those. How many of you stumbled into sin and afterwards you felt such guilt such shame from that. You can, you can raise your hand if, if you want to do that. Um, some of you, uh, you've, I, maybe you've just never sinned, I don't know. But the truth is we have all sinned and we can feel such shame and condemnation. But Romans 8, 1 says, church, you know this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because of the cross and the resurrection. And I'm going to need to come back to that and explain why John does what he does in, in this chapter we're going to look at. Okay, so sin is an offense toward God and bring shame, but failure as well. Like you've studied for an exam on a test and you worked really hard and you still failed it. And the reason why you, the, 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 the result then is that you can feel ashamed. But here's why. Now we encounter a problem because in that type of shame, the reason why you feel that is because you are concerned about how others view you. Jesus wants to wipe that away too. Because I want you to know there is only one view that should matter to any of us, and that is God's view. Husbands and wives, you're married. I value my wife's views and opinions, but guess what? If they are contrary, sorry, sweetheart, but if they're contrary to God's view of me, I say, no, thank you. Very rare, by the way, very rare. And so boils down to still one view that I respect completely in my entire life, and that is God's view of me. That's what we need to get at today, God's view of me. Shame, then, believes a lie and fails to embrace the truth. Lies lead us astray like bad directions or map quests right? We talked about that that Friday night. Uh, these, this concept of lies, they're, they're like someone, we discovered they're like someone who gives, have you ever had someone give you bad directions? Or, or maybe the truth was you misunderstood them. Well, we'll just say that they gave you bad directions, right? And you've, you ended up in the wrong place. They meant to say turn right at this stop sign, but you were supposed to turn left and you ended up on the other side of town. What? Or you chose to follow MapQuest that said, turn right here and go into this neighborhood and then keep going straight for three miles. And after, after about 200 yards, you came to a dead end. And there's this huge field. And on the other side of the field, the road continues. It's like, what? Thank you very much. That happened to me. 
I was downtown in an area I had no idea what, where was north, south, east, or west. So I had to back up, go all the way around, and somehow find that road. Thank you very much, MapQuest. Now, I, for your 411, I don't use MapQuest anymore. But the truth is, lies are like that, and they lead us astray. Lies lead us, in many respects, to shame. And Christ wants to break that shame off of you today. Here's what I'm going to ask that you do. As I go through over the next half hour, as I go through some of these principles about shame and then some of these principles about redemption, I want you to either write down on the back of your bulletin where it says sermon notes, write down something that in your life right now is producing shame. Now, I understand if that thing is very personal to you and you would never want anyone to see it, in which case, make a mental note of it. But as I go through these truths, I want you to think of that thing that right now in your life is causing shame. So here's what shame does. Shame distorts our perception as Christians. It distorts our perception of who we are in Christ. As a result, it distorts our understanding of who God is. It embraces a lie about me that now reflects on God. I don't see myself. When I look in the mirror, I would say, oh my goodness, that is hideous. But that is exactly what you do in your own metaphorical mirror, if you will. You look at it and you, and you see that, you see who you are and what you see is the shame. You see the lie the devil's fed you. You believe that lie and your, your, your conclusion is, oh my goodness, that, who I am, is hideous. And God wants to change that. But ultimately, that misperception, that distortion because of shame, not only speaks a lie about yourself, it also, and we're going to see this, speaks a lie about God himself. It's shame sees ourselves as unworthy of being used by God because we are unworthy of his love, even in Christ. Did you get that? You see, shame says, man, I'm such a bad person. Why would God ever want to use me like a, a used Kleenex? Why would God want to use me now? Even though you are in Christ, that's how you view yourself. But you see, we've been redeemed. Our worthiness is not rooted in us. Our worthiness is rooted in Christ. Mike Curtis, in Christ, now is worthy. Not because of anything about Mike Curtis, but everything about Christ in whom I am. I am in Christ. And Christ is worthy. He is worthy of God's love. Therefore, in Christ, I find myself in Christ worthy of God's love. 
But see, it has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with Christ. We need to see ourselves in Christ. It fails, therefore, to grasp God's love, his ability to truly forgive and claim us as his own for his purposes. So, I really believe that as we go through this chapter, as I went through this chapter initially, God said, I want you to put a hold on this sermon series that I've been preaching on concerning global revival. And now we've been took looking at a couple of sermons on unity, unity being absolutely necessary in the body of Christ for him to bring this revival, global revival that we see throughout scripture to bear on his church today. And God said, take a step back. And as I did that, and as I studied this, I began to realize, you know what? Wow, this concept of God breaking the shame off of us is absolutely imperative for him to truly use us as he desires because shame distorts how I view myself. Shame casts doubt on God's love. Shame casts doubt on God's ability and even desire to want to use me to bring about in part of his body of Christ, to bring about global revival, to bring about unity in the body of Christ. So this topic, this is huge. It's like an infection that gets into us and it distorts so much of the truth about who we are in Christ. So let's, let's do that. Let's get, into this, let's get into this chapter. I want you to see something. that The, the gospel of John is unique. The Gospel of John is different than the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic meaning they view it from the same perspective, somewhat. So they touch on very similar stories, but John is very different. There is actually very little overlap between the Gospel according to John and the other three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke. John apparently wrote this gospel later in his life. Tradition says his disciples had persuaded him to write this gospel. And so its focus is more on what Jesus taught than what he did. It focuses on these themes of truth, of life. And the third thing I forgot to mention was this... Um, this concept of, of faith and love, our response to God's truth, faith and love. Now, if you don't believe me, you can write those words down that I gave you, and you can do a word study. See how many times John uses these words compared to the other Gospels. So here's my question. Okay, John writes this Gospel, and it is so powerful. On the surface, it's easy to read. But here's something you notice about John. The more you dig into John, the, more, the deeper you see how, you, the more you begin to see how deep the gospel of John is and very complex and intricate. So here is my question. This chapter that I'm about to read to you, this gospel, excuse me, this chapter is all about the apostle Peter. It's, it has a, just a little bit to do with the disciple of John but it is all about Peter. Now, how many of you have ever heard a sermon based on Jesus' three questions? Simon, son of John, 
do you love me more than these? How many of you have ever heard a sermon based on that? Okay, a number of you. Actually, when people read this chapter, pastors like myself, and I've done this as well, that we focus on verses 15 through 17. I don't want to do that today. Because I believe that this breaking off of shame actually happens before. The other thing is, why would John, and maybe I just ask a lot of questions, but why would John conclude 20 chapters of his gospel with a story about Peter? Here's what we're going to discover. This is a real-life story that helps sum up and, and bring together all of these truths about what John has been teaching about Jesus and this concept of redemption, okay? So before I read, let me just say this. One thing that all the Gospels do have in common is Peter's denial of Jesus three times. Peter denies Jesus three times while he's in the court of the high priest. Three different people ask him, I've seen you before. You are associated or you know this Jesus fellow, don't you? And three times John says, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have, I have nothing to do with this Jesus guy. I don't know who he is. Three times he denies them. Three times Jesus then in this chapter says, Peter, son of John, do you love me? And this is kind of Jesus kind of reinstating him. But the breaking off of this shame actually happens before. So let's look at this. Because this story of Peter sums up these truths that John has been taking 20 chapters to teach. Now, all of these guys, Jesus has already been raised from the dead. We see the cross and the resurrection. And now... John concludes his gospel with this story. There's Simon Peter, there's Thomas, the one who doubted him, there's Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, who would be James and John, and two other disciples. And Peter says, I'm, you know, I'm going to go out fishing. And it says that they spent the entire night fishing and caught nothing. It says, verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Now, we... We, they already had an encounter with the risen Jesus in the chapter before. Now they're in Galilee, and they decide to go fishing because Jesus told them, meet me in Galilee. So there they are, and Peter's just saying, hey, guys, let's just go fishing. Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John were fishermen, and so out they go. They fish. They fish all night, early in the morning. This guy is standing on the shore. It's apparently Jesus, but they don't recognize him. He, that is Jesus, calls to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. Now, they are about 100 yards from shore, by the way. So they're calling to one another. And then this is what Jesus, listen to this, this is what Jesus says. Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. What? Can you imagine Peter? Yeah, are you serious? All right, we've been fishing on the left side of the boat, but I guess the six feet make a big difference. 
So we're going to pull the net up, thank you so much, and you ask us to now throw it on the other side, just move it six feet this way, I get, and, and that's going to solve all the problems, and we're going to catch some fish, <laughs> right, I'm the fisherman here, I'm the experienced one, and whoever you are, they don't recognize them, understand. whoever you are, thank you anyway, but they do it, there is just something that sounds vaguely familiar to Peter's, um, okay, I feel like I've been down this road before. I'm going to do that. So they pick up the net. They throw it on the other side of the boat. When they did, listen to this, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's this disciple who wrote this gospel, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Woo! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciple followed in the boat, towing the net of full of fish, they, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter? Climbed aboard, that is, aboard the boat, climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. This is what Simon did. Didn't say about anybody helping him. Simon. There's something has happened in Simon. Simon, he swam the hundred yards because he wanted to try and get there first. He now climbs aboard the boat as it's come ashore, and he's the one who grabs the net, and he's the one who pulls it ashore. And it says it's full of large yeah, yeah, but it was full of large fish, 153. The dude counted them. Peter is so excited. You know what? This is amazing. We need to find out why he thinks it's amazing. This is amazing. And he, he wait, hey, no, no, what are you guys doing? No, we're going to count these. We're going to count them. One, two, three, four, 153. 100, write that down, John. 153, but even with so many the net was not full. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Did you see? Did you catch the breaking off of shame in this? Okay, come on, be honest. Most of us were scratching our head thinking, Pastor Mike, wow, you're really off in the deep end. No, just on the right side of the, no, I'm just kidding. Where do you see the breaking off of shame, Pastor Mike? And so this is what, again, this is so profound. This is so um, dead on for what, what John wants to teach, he uses us an example of breaking off this shame for Peter because it exemplifies the redemption that the whole gospel has been about. So let's see this. The first thing that happens is that they had been fishing all night. All night. And they caught nothing. 
And then this guy on the shore says, hey, guys, did you catch anything? No. Here's my expert advice. Throw the net on the other side of the boat. Peter immediately remembers something. Now, if you want to go, because what I'm going to do now, I'm going to compare and contrast Luke chapter 5 and what we read here. Because in Luke chapter 5, Jesus had been teaching. He was standing on the shore. There's so many people. He had to get into Simon Peter's boat, cast off from the shore just a little bit, sit in the boat because Jews, when they taught, they didn't stand like I'm doing. They actually sat. So he's sitting in the boat, and he is teaching them. When he's done teaching, he turns to Peter and says, tell you what. Go out now into the deep water and throw your net out. And Peter looks up at him in Luke 5 and he says, what? Let me paraphrase. Dude, listen to me. I'm the fisherman. You're simply a carpenter. Who should be giving advice here? Peter says, okay. Because it's you asking me. And And Jesus had just healed his mother-in-law. And just for your 411, Peter was excited about that, okay? Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Okay, so he he, he then says, okay, we'll, we'll do this. And when he goes out into deep water and throws his net in, it says that there is such a catch of fish that they couldn't pull it in. Jesus, Peter, Very rarely, I'm sure, had fished all night and caught nothing. But that's what happened now. And Jesus told him to do something absolutely contrary to what he would normally be inclined to do. Go out into the deep water. Let's try it one more time. But a whole different outcome. I imagine as Peter is listening to this, throw your net on the right side, and he doesn't say, (laughs) Yeah, thanks for nothing, buddy. He actually does it. Luke chapter 5 is when Jesus calls Peter. Peter had just witnessed this miracle, go out into deep water. He does that. He brings in this huge haul of fish, and he is transformed. And Jesus speaks to him and says, you know what? I'm now calling you. To be a fisher of men. You follow me. Can you imagine if Jesus walked up to you? And and, and there was only a few that he did this to. And he said, you know what? I'm calling you. You, come on. Follow me. Wow. Jesus called me? Peter did miracles. When he went out with the 12, it says he cast out demons. He healed the sick, anointed them with oil, healed the sick, just like Jesus had done. When he preached, people actually listened to this old fisherman now. And as he called them to the kingdom of God, they actually responded. Luke 5, Jesus calls Peter. John chapter 21, Jesus confirms that calling on Peter's life. 
Let me just go through those things one more time so that you can see. They had fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus the carpenter, he says in Luke 5, throw your net into deep water. Luke 20, uh, John 21, just throw your net on the other side of the boat. In both situations, they catch a large number of fish, and they were amazed. The fish filled the net. They went from nothing the whole night to a net so full of fish in just a matter of minutes. The conclusion is that this is the Lord. In Luke 5, Peter calls him Lord. And in John chapter 21, John himself says, Peter, it's the Lord. Why does Jesus do this? It's as if he is saying, Peter, listen to me, Peter. My call upon your life has not changed because my love for you has not changed. Why? Why, Peter? Because your worthiness is not based upon you. Your holiness, not sinning, and, and your success, your failure, it's, it's not based upon your worthiness. I purchased you as my very own. I washed you clean. I've given you new life, and I've changed you. I have redeemed you. Based on this truth, I have called you. I have redeemed you. Your feelings of shame, listen, Peter, your feelings of shame, of shame have not changed these truths. So who is this Peter who is now in Christ? There are two major differences between Luke 5, the calling of Peter, and now Jesus breaking this shame off of him. Because remember, shame says, I'm not worthy of God's love. Even though I'm in Christ, I'm not worthy of this love. And therefore, it doubts the very essence and nature of God's love for me. <coughs> it said, Peter's response in Luke 5 was this. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Jesus doing this miracle highlighted Peter's sinfulness. There was something absolutely amazing about this Jesus. And I am unworthy of this. And then Christ called him. Now, after the cross and the resurrection, Peter's response is not, Lord, Go away from me, for I am a sinful man. What does Peter do? He jumps in the water. He swims to Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus, away from me. I am just so enshrouded in shame and guilt and sin. He says no, and he swims to him. Jesus has, has profoundly reassured him, Peter, listen to me. My call on your life has not changed. My love for you has not changed because I have redeemed you. And it is not about you, Peter. It is about me and my cross and resurrection. That is a truth and it will never change. You are redeemed and you're my very own. And I'm still calling you. Can I ask you this? The shame that you're feeling, the sense of unworthiness, 
Maybe it feels like dirt. Maybe, you know, when, when I grew up, we would go vacationing in, in, at Prime Hook Beach. Prime Hook, the Delaware, Prime Hook Beach was on the Delaware Bay, a very polluted bay. <clears throat> My grandmother's cottage that we would stay in was right there on the beach, and we would go swimming in this bay. The problem is every time we came out of the bay, we had this, this is gross, I realize, we had this oil all over us. Yeah, it was disgusting. It was disgusting. This is how we feel, though, when we are caught up in this cycle of shame. And we, we see the pollution of sin on us, and we fail to see we have been washed clean. Even that sin has been washed clean. Any failures washed clean does not count against you. And, P and Jesus, he needs to communicate this truth to Peter. My call on your life has not changed one little bit. And the reason for that is my love for you has not changed one bit. For some of us, we're doubting God's love. We're wondering if he still cares about us the way he used to. We're wondering in this moment of shame if he would still ever even want to use us. And Jesus would say to you right now, I'm sorry, but why not? Why wouldn't I want to use you? My call for you has not changed. I've taken you out of darkness into my light. I have taken you out of sin into Mount, now this, this journey with me into holiness. And yes, as, even as a Christian, we can still sin and we can still feel racked of shame, but the blood of Christ has not changed. His power has not been rendered useless in your life just because you have sinned and maybe even repeatedly, but you still come back and you say, Jesus, thank you for washing me of my sins. And we are in Christ. Shame is for those who are outside of Christ. It is not for those in Christ. So to break this sense of shame off of Peter, so that Peter, as we now march into Acts chapter 2, where he's the one, just seven weeks later, who proclaims the gospel, and 3,000 give their lives to Christ. Something needs to happen in this man's life. And Peter says, I want to write about it. I want this example of what Christ does in Peter's life, it sums up everything that I've been teaching. Listen to this. See, Jesus purchased you, Peter. All that, that shame, here's how severe that shame was. Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, he couldn't handle it. He killed himself. Peter, it says when he denied Jesus three times, he went outside and he wept bitterly. How can God love me now? I've blown it. I set up my Jesus for crucifixion. We don't see Peter at the cross. Maybe he was too ashamed. Maybe he viewed it from a very far distance. John, on the other hand, was right there. Not Peter. We read nothing of him. 
and the shame hangs on him. And now Jesus, he says, Peter, my call is not changed because my love is not changed. Peter, now in this breaking off of the shame, he doesn't say, oh, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He jumps into water. You know what else, what else is different? In Luke chapter 5, it says that their net was so full of fish, the net began to break. And Luke seems to make a big deal about this. Why include that? Okay, then they, okay, well, it was full of fish. In John, the net is so full of fish, but read it with me in, in verse 12. It says, but even with so many, so many, the net was not torn. John wants us to know this. This is the redeemed Peter. He's like that net. Before Christ, he broke. He was a sinful man. But in Christ, the shame has been broken off. Peter comes to this realization in Christ and his full redemption. I am purchased. I belong to my Jesus. The sin has been canceled in my life. He has now called me on this eternal destiny that I find in Christ and in Christ alone. And that shame is no longer to be a part of my life. He's been redeemed. Peter is a different person. Three times he denied knowing Jesus. Jesus now breaks that shame off of Peter. You know, it's only in the gospel according to John that we read these words that Jesus said while on the cross. It is finished. I want you to know that. If you're wrestling with shame, you're looking at the cross, and while he was dying for your sins, he said, it is finished. Redemption has been accomplished. You do not need to wrestle with this shame and this guilt anymore. I'm breaking it off of you. It is finished. I'm going to just tell you this, that if we are going to choose to be ashamed, that is a choice. If we're going to choose to believe lies about ourself, even in Christ, and therefore about God himself, if we're going to choose to embrace these lies rather than the truth, just like these wrong directions, we're going to get lost. We're going to wander off. Peter, there was a call on his life. God was going to use him. You read the book of Acts. God used him powerfully. Do you realize that in chapter 5, Peter is ministering, and as he was passing people, his shadow, his shadow fell on the sick, and they were healed. God wants to break the shame off of you. And the reason is because he is inviting you 
into this amazing journey in his kingdom. Shame broken off. You being used to declare by your life and with your words this amazing love of God and this amazing redemptive plan of God that he took that which was broken, that which was racked with with pain and guilt, that which was addicted to sin and he pulled you out of it and he took that which was evil in you and he has changed you. He has made you a new creation. You are not who you were. Now you are in Christ. Now you have been redeemed. Now you have a different direction in life. You have been filled with his spirit. You've been birthed with new life and now he has turned everything in your life or in this process of turning everything in your life around. And he's inviting you on this journey. Leave the shame behind. Leave the lies behind. Embrace the truth of redemption. John, he thought it was so important to sum up his entire gospel. That's why he talked about Peter. My audience, did you hear all of these truths that I just shared with you? Now, let me give you an example of Peter and the shame and what Jesus did to fix that. Can you stand with me? Some of us need this shame broken off of our lives. It hangs over you like a cloud. If you want to kill the the house lights, that'd be great. Some of you, your shame is something that's been done to you. It has nothing to do with sin, at least yours, and everything to do with someone else's. For others, your shame comes from failures from your past and even from sin itself. And you've allowed yourself to get caught up in these lies. And the shame has distorted who you are in Christ and even distorted God himself for you. I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray that God breaks this shame off of you. And that you grasp these truths of God's redemption of your life. So Father, we do that right now. in our mind, I am a failure. I have so blown it. God, why would you even love me? How could you ever use me now? Take those lies, God, and one by one dismantle them. Break them off. Speak truth into our inner man. And God, I ask that we would accept and embrace and and cling to those truths. Your love knows no end. When I am faithless, you are faithful. Your love is higher than 
my sins. You have forgiven them and you know them no more. I am washed by the everlasting blood of Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ. He who believes has, possesses right now eternal life, zoe life that transforms, changes. We are a new creation in Christ. We are born again in Jesus Christ by faith. God, let us latch onto these truths. Don't allow the devil to keep speaking lies. That's his native language. Break these lies off us, God. over.